Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Hello, and thanks for joining me for the Friday Reporter Podcast. My name is Lisa Camuso Miller, and I am a public affairs professional in Washington, D.C., talking to reporters from all across the country about how it is they do their work and how it is we, as communication professionals, can do ours better. Well, thanks so much for joining me today for the Friday Reporter. I'm thrilled to have today's guest, who is guest number two, who has been nominated by another podcast uh, previous guest, Chris Steyerwalt from, well, previously with Fox News and now with The Dispatch, recommended that Julie Mason from SiriusXM join me for a future podcast. And I'm thrilled that Julie accepted and is with me today. Julie Mason, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for inviting me. It's really fun. Wow. I'm really glad and I'm really glad to have you. Tell me a little, Julie, uh, you've got a great background. You started in Texas. You started in Houston, if I'm not mistaken. (laughs) No, Dallas. And Oh, it was Dallas. Okay. So Dallas started in Dallas and here you are in Washington, DC with a great and, um, and fun background. Tell me a little bit about, give me the highlights. What are, what's the highlights real for Julie Mason? Okay. Well, I, I grew up in Massachusetts, which is crazy when you think about like launching your career in Texas, but I grew up in Massachusetts and, uh, I was a punk rocker, like, a major punk rocker in the 80s. And I came to DC for college to go to AU because this is where all my favorite bands were from, which is what you, which is uh, like how a 16 year old makes major decisions. Like (laughs) where's the best music? (laughs) Let's go have some fun. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I came here for college, didn't even make it two years before I got kicked out. And um, what needed, like, but I always knew I wanted to be a journalist. So I was really lucky to find a job, like a part-time job at the Dallas Morning News, Washington Bureau, Mm -hmm. and uh, had to go straight very fast, like overnight, had to go from, you know, major punk rocker to little office drone. And that was, it was that is whiplash. whiplash. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm total whiplash. And, and it was not entirely successful. I assure you. I just, I remember like being in the conference room, like doing some sorting of papers and, and like these reporters who were like 40 ish, they seemed really old to me at the time, but 40 mm. ish coming in and standing like on the other side of the room and kind of looking at me and saying, uh, hello. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> it just found me very strange, but I loved it. And I, I stayed there for years. And then they, they asked me like one day the bureau chief came by my desk and asked, um, are you, uh, are you done with college? I'd been working there for like three years. Oh, awesome. <laughs> right. And I said, yes, I, I, I actually, I find that I am done with college. And he said, uh, well, we have a job for you in Dallas if you want to go. So off I went to Dallas and, but it was just, it was my willingness to like, and, and I think about this all the time because we have a lot of young people I work with now and the, and the young people I work with now are terrific, but they haven't always been. Not, I mean, the ones I work with now are great, but I've worked with some less than great young mm-hmm. workers who won't do the crap work and they won't do the scut work and they won't like answer phones and cut up papers or or whatever dumb work. They want to do the the fun job. Mm 
Yeah. And, uh, but it was my, it was really, it was my cheerful willingness to do anything they asked. I mean, this was back when interns got your lunch and, yeah, you know, yeah. interns ran errands and personal errands, made dinner reservations, picked up your wife's dry cleaning, like whatever was needed, I did. And I didn't mind it at all because I was just happy to be working. That's <laughs> right. I, I, did, I, I was out of school. So, uh, so then I went to Dallas and then from there I went to Texas, uh, I mean to Houston and I ended up spending eight, 20 years at the Houston Chronicle newspaper. Um, and I know I loved it. I love Houston and uh, the city is great. I mean, it's just this great mix. White people are a minority in Houston and it makes politics and just human interactions so fascinating. I mean, there's strong black, Hispanic and Asian communities there who are very politically engaged and active, a little bit at war with each other. And it just makes for great Great politics. Great and, news and, too, I bet. Yeah. Yeah. Oh God, the news. It never it was always good. So I loved it. And then I came here for the Houston Chronicle. And then, you know, then the recession hit in 08 and they just shut the whole bureau down. There were 10 of us. We all lost our jobs. It was really, really rough. And uh, but I managed to stay in newspapering. I went to the Washington Examiner where I worked for Chris Starwalt, who is mm -hmm. a legend and a genius. <laughs> and uh, and then I went to Politico. And then from there I was like mid-career. You didn't know what I wanted to do with myself. And uh, it was sort of like my mid 40s. And I was like, ah, you know, ah, I think a lot of women in work uh, reach a certain point and they're like, okay, I'm, I, I can either continue what I'm doing or I can make a big change. But if I want to make a big change, this is my last shot. Yeah. Because I think when you get older, people won't give you that shot when you're yep. a woman. Yep. You've got to be that you've got to be feasible in, in whatever way, whatever way is perceived about you. Anyway, so I made the jump to radio and because I was like, all right, well, this is exciting. I've, I haven't done it before professionally. It's a challenge. It scares the hell out of me. So I think it'll probably be good. Yeah. And, and, and my boss at Politico <laughs> told me that um, if I said fuck too many times on the air, I could have my old job back. <laughs> <laughs> and okay so it's been 10 years and that has not happened oh no not right but i feel like the, i feel like the you know if it does happen I, I maybe i could still go back to politico i don't know maybe too much time has passed but uh other guests have said it but not the host and uh anyway so yeah so there i am and so and i love radio whole different thing different way to use the background that i gleaned as a newspaper reporter using that experience in a whole new way in a whole new challenging setting and i i just want to urge any woman or even a man that's out there listening wondering what to do with themselves mm -hmm. think of a way to use what you know in a new way and apply it and learn some new skills and it's it's so stimulating. It's like a whole fresh start. It's wonderful. I totally love that. And I totally, and that's, that's some of the reason, I mean, sitting here at 48 years old, I'll say like, that's part of the reason why I started the podcast in the first place. Uh -huh. I love doing radio interviews. I do a lot of them. In fact, at one point in my career, I had done like 75 in a year for a campaign that I worked on. And it's the most fun medium for me to do. Um, and, and it's just, it's great fun. You get to prepare in advance, but you also mm -hmm. get to sort of be, you get to show a little more of your personality. Yep. Uh, you know, TV feels a little bit boxed in. Uh, newspapers are very much uh, boxed in, but radio mm -hmm. really allows you to like uh, let that creative, those creative juices flow a lot more. Absolutely. That's so true. Yeah. It's, it's really great stuff. How has your, so the, you know, obviously the pandemic has changed everybody's life. We're all living in athleisure and working from wherever it is that we're working <laughs> from, but how has your, how has your world changed over the course of uh. the last 12 months? 
Well, first, let me say how lucky and grateful I am to still be employed, mm-hmm. right? Because uh, because SiriusXM relies on advertising and subscribers, which is not which is not a great model in a pandemic, right? It's when hard. people are trying to right figure out like so our advertising subscribers. I was so worried about losing my job. I really was, but I got a promotion. <laughs> but but let me say what what it's been like. So uh, uh, our studios in DC, which are over in Noma, mm-hmm. over by Dave Thomas Circle, mm-hmm. um, not. A lot of people know that we're there, but we're there, and, and we have beautiful, state-of-the-art studios with like the very latest in equipment. It's such a pleasure to go there. The studio I work from has like six flat-screen TVs, and awesome. and I learned how to run the board, and you know, it's just amazing. It's like being in a spaceship. I love it. And when we sh- when we shut down for the pandemic, I'm doing the show from my couch. <laughs> like, oh wow! I live in a one-bedroom apartment with my husband and a dog, and the dog like barks and plays with his chew toy like for three hours. I believe it. I believe it. Thankfully, right. that's that's all that's all excused now during the pandemic. Like dogs right. on screen, dogs in the in the yeah, they're all yep. they're all part of it. Totally fine, totally fine. Any, but I but I I miss the studio so I much. Bet. I really do. Like I need I need that environment to to bring my A game. Like I don't like to get up and sit on my couch and do the show. Like I can do it, and I feel really grateful that I can. Sure, but. I'm I'm like the like the one person in America who actually misses the office. Yeah, well, especially if you have an office that inspires a lot of creativity, which it sounds like yes. serious the studios do. Yeah, they really do. And and like the people I work with are great. Like radio people tend to be a little eccentric and really smart in quirky ways. Sure. Uh, and and I just I miss that 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 the vitality of the mm-hmm. office and the studio. So Julie, the, the difference between, so there, you know, a lot of this, uh, the audience has been targeted for me towards colleagues of mine that do communications and a lot of folks really struggle with pitching radio is really different from Mm. pitching print, pitching TV. What for you, how do people approach you? Like what's the best way for Uh. someone to approach you to say, Hey Julie, I've got a great guest that would really work out well for your format. Like tell me a little bit about the format of your show and tell me a little bit about what works for you all in order to like help advance a story. We, I host a three-hour morning show, and it's pretty fast-paced. Um, and it's and it's not just news of the day, but it's very news of the day adjacent. Uh, it's very much what people need to know when, uh, whenever they get back in their cars, whenever that may be. They still listen, thank heavens. But mm-hmm. um, like a like from uh, six to nine a.m., they're getting up. They need, what do they need? But then we also like to mix in some little offbeat things that give people a break from politics and news. I love to do travel, movie lifestyle stories and my producer usually carves out like the last 15 minutes of an hour in the three-hour show for something offbeat and I take a lot of pitches off uh emails and you know I mean most of the time I just glaze over the email pitches I get have nothing to do with my show are 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 mostly like super partisan and my show is non-partisan you know like I would book a partisan but no, I don't. I'm not going to book someone who wants to come on and talk about how masks are useless. Like that's just mm, not. That's yeah. not for a new show, you know. Mm. But pitch that to pitch that to someone else. And so I, you know, it's the same as every journalist uh, who complains about like just getting random pitches and like spam pitches that have nothing to do with the show. But like a thoughtful pitch of like, hey, I haven't. I know you you like something a little offbeat. Here's some ideas. I'm very receptive to that. And, uh, and you know, and, and we've taken a lot of content from there. I've forwarded it to my producer and said, hey, this sounds kind of interesting. Let's, let's talk to this person. And so you can definitely get on my show with a good pitch, but it can't just be 
random. You know, it can't just be, I pitched every radio show on earth with the same guest and I know it has, it has nothing to do. It just clutters up my inbox and it's never going to get on my show. It's just lazy. I mean, it really is just lazy. And unfortunately it is the training ground that we put our, like our young uh, press people through, like our young communications people through, like just let's communicate to the client that we pitched 87 radio shows. Well, if you get zero hits, that doesn't mean anything. In fact, it's a gigantic waste of everyone's time, including the people that you're pitching. Um, So I do, I definitely counsel that often. And the other thing that like really rings true about what you said is that um, taking five minutes out of your day to figure out like, what is it that Julie cares about? Like listen to her show for a couple of hours, get a sense of what it is. Maybe this is something that fits well. Yeah. It's a little bit more work, but let's spend a little time getting to know what she needs and maybe we'll have a little better success like breaking through. right but it but it doesn't it doesn't even take that much homework like yeah. you could google me google my show I also have an about me page that lists like a lot of the different like I've had everyone from Chris Christie to Henry Rollins like that's a that's a pretty wide um rainbow there mm-hmm. and so so you know what I mean so I mean the, it, like a, just a quick google search and I think you can learn enough about my show to make a pitch you don't even have to listen to it you could say oh okay I I, I see where this is heading and, and I think I have someone who could be good on this show. Sure. All right. So you mentioned Massachusetts, you mentioned punk rock. You must be a Bob, <laughs> you must be a Bob mold fan. I hope that you have seen the episode of Sonic highways with Foo Fighters, where they do a whole DC set about how, what the DC scene means for, for music. But who was the, who was it that drew you here? Like who, what, what band, what was your band? Like, why, oh, how did you get here? So, okay. This is, I'm blushing. Okay. This is embarrassing. Well, first of all, I do know Bob Mould. He was my neighbor here in DC and I would go to his house for barbecues. No and way. when everyone was, when everyone was being like loud and stupid and screaming, Bob, you know, he's a Scorpio and uh, he, he likes to have a quiet chat in a corner and he follows politics really closely. And I, I loved talking to him. He's thoughtful. He's, he's quiet. He's reserved. He's, he has like this magnetic personality. Yeah. I was so fond of him. I was so sorry when he moved away. But anyway, uh, my favorite band was Minor Threat and I moved here basically. Nice to like hang out with minor threat and that's what happened and it was really really fun i it was just it was a, 80s were just a great time in dc yes. it was like og punk rock it was really really fun no and no and doubt. at that time dave grohl from the foo fighters well first of all he worked at tower records mm-hmm. and was and was rude he was the rude cashier at tower records <laughs> but he was also he was in he was I, he was a drummer in a band called scream was he the drummer or maybe he was the singer no i think he was well whatever he was he played a different instrument than he does now yes. and it was a band called Scream who were really great and they played out all the time. I think it was drums. I think you're right. It was drums because yeah. they do a whole thing about it with the Sonic Highways um, series that they did for one of their last uh, albums. But yeah, he talks about that a little bit too. Oh, that's so awesome. Okay. So then, <laughs> so, uh, you know, c- because this is the Friday reporter, the flipped script where the flack is asking the reporter the questions. Um, but my question always to my guests is what are you most looking forward to doing over the weekend? Like, are, are what do you, now that you can't listen to live music, now that you can't get there, tell me a little bit about, you know, what do you, what do you look forward to on the weekends? <laughs> well, um, I'm, I'm still kind of a newlywed. I've only been married like less than 18 months oh, to my husband. Thank you. Yeah. He's, uh, he's from Istanbul 
And so I'm learning Turkish cooking. <laughs> and on the weekends, yeah, I do weird experimental Turkish cooking. This morning I made him um, some very interesting uh, Turkish eggs called menemen that involves like paprika. And oh, it's just that they were delicious. Oh, good. They uh, came out well. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it doesn't always turn out well. And he usually takes pictures and sends them to his grandmother. And oh, they make fun of me. Awesome. They make fun of his decadent American wife making <laughs> Turkish food. <laughs> but I, um, but I, but I really enjoy that. And, and that's kind of what we do in pandemic. That's such a good, well, what a good hobby to have for the pandemic. Thank goodness we right? can get to the grocery stores, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's the one, that's my one big outing is the grocery store. And, uh, and, and sometimes I get to the gym. I mean, that's about it. Those are my Woo! two big, big, I know wild and crazy. Woo, go over crazy. Here. I know. Wow. So what a life. <laughs> Uh, so final question, Julie, I always like to ask as you are, uh, my second, thank you again so much for agreeing to, to join me. Uh, my second recommendation. So who would you most like to see as a future guest for the Friday? Uh, I think you will love Olivier Knox from the Washington post. He just took over authorship of the daily 202 newsletter, uh, which comes out at noon every day. And he is hilarious and he's so smart and he has a great story too he's half american half french and he's here covering american politics he's great stuff that's awesome okay great well i'll reach out to olivier and i'll tell him that you sent me julie mm -hmm. mason thank you so so much for joining me today i really appreciate it and uh, i'll talk to you again soon thank you lisa it was a real pleasure and that's today's episode of the friday reporter thanks so much for joining us we'll see you next time On the morning of August 1, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery and I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects.